listening to the Marijuana Solution, and this is Robert Roundtree, your host. This episode, we're speaking with Bill Monroe. He is the Directory of Dispensary Management for Three Boys Farm. He is also a military veteran, a squid like myself. Uh, how are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing fine, uh, Robert. How are you? I'm doing really good. We, we had a pretty good um, end of the week for cannabis and politics. Uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith got his reelection kicked off, went to that. And then Central Florida Normal had their policy conference yesterday, which there's a lot of a lot of good groups came together and uh, debated some issues and tried to come up with a more cohesive plan going forward. I'm excited. 2018 is going to be a monster year for the industry, in my opinion, and for the patients, hopefully. I, I think so, too. I mean, it's going to be a big year uh, for both the state of Florida on the national level. On the state level, we have, you know, the Redner lawsuit that's going to be uh, that's currently in process in January. That's over home grow and, and the ability to juice. We have uh, the black farmers lawsuit that's going on. Uh, let me see what are some of the other lawsuits we have. We have uh, a new one I heard about that's going to be entered in here shortly at other growers suing for a license. And uh, one other in the West Palm area who's um, uh, looking for a license there, too. So there's a lot going on, uh, a lot of changes on the, um, the license holders. Uh, there's a lot of changes on the national level. We haven't even seen some of the lawsuits there being uh, pushed forward in, in, into the court um, and what's going on there, especially with uh, the Jeff Sessions making a lot of noise. Yeah, the Jeff Sessions thing, uh, it's received a lot of attention, um, especially within the community in Florida. And it, it's, of my opinion, and a lot of different legal experts that I've spoke with that we're in a lot better position with the program in our Constitution than a lot of other states may be in. Um, what's your opinion on that? I believe so. I mean, it's in the state Constitution. Um you know, it was passed by 71% of the voters. This is an election year, so Pam Bondi and Governor Scott and House Leader Richard Corcoran, um, they're all running for office. They're all term limited, and they're all looking for different positions where you have Governor Scott running for uh, Senator Nelson's seat. And from what I understand, Governor Scott wants to make cannabis part of his platform. Uh, and if he's going to do that, he better do something this session and he better tell, uh, you know, Attorney General um, Pan Bondi to keep her hands off on uh, the medical here. And she's running for office and she's trying to get into different positions. So it's doubtful she's going to make any noise or or, or uh, support any federal actions here in Florida. I, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's going to come to anything here in Florida just because of the election year. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, with a lot of the. Um you know, allegations of misconduct and stuff that are starting to swirl around Tallahassee. From what I've been hearing, a, a lot of the Republicans and people coming up for re-election are trying to do anything to keep the calm up there. So, Oh, absolutely. I mean, between Lapala and Clemens and, and uh, several others that we haven't even heard about, all they want is, you know, they don't want any more drama. They just want to be able to push forward their agenda and their objectives and raise money. And the minute you have drama, your uh, fundraising drops off. I mean, if we looked at Jack Latvala on his fundraising uh, the month before, he was making millions. And then all of a sudden, 
when all, all those allegations uh, hit the media, his fundraising basically dropped down into hundreds of dollars. So there is certainly a monetary aspect to to creating drama and and uh, going after certain elements and groups within the state of Florida. Oh, absolutely. It, it can have a ripple down effect, not only to the person at the top, but the people that they're associated with, too. A lot of people depend on those campaigns. Oh, absolutely. Now, I wanted to I'm, I'm glad you brought up some of the legal stuff, because I, I know that was a hot button topic this week. and I wanted to kind of get through it. What can you explain to people? I know this. Cause I've spoken with Gary Stein and stuff. If Redner wins the lawsuit, does that mean that everybody gets to grow and juice or is that just for Joe Redner? Well, that's a good question. I mean, if if Joe Redner's lawsuit states that currently uh, none of the MMTCs allow for uh, the product, the juice, the juice cannabis product, and that's because of the cost aspects. To sit there and take, you know, several plants and be able to juice them, you know, that bottle would cost hundreds of dollars for, um, you know, a bottle of cannabis juice. So, there, because MMTCs are not doing that, in effect. The public does not have access to all the availabilities of cannabis. So you could argue under under Amendment Two that it's not just Joe Redner, but it's the public. And I believe he put a public aspect in that. Now I'm not a lawyer, so whether this goes across the whole state of Florida, I don't know. But it does provide um, it does co- uh, provide for a, for a case president where other lawyers can say, well, because Joe Redner won his lawsuit. Now we want to do this. So it, it, you know, again, I'm not sure. I know Joe Redner word, and it would cert- certainly, you know, hit the media, and, th- and that question would be uh, uh, would be answered in some way or form the day that that court decision was is made, if it's made in January. Yet somebody like Joe Redner, a serial entrepreneur, worrying about cost of juicing. I mean, that means damn near every citizen can't afford it because like you said a couple hundred bucks you mean you got to juice about a pound right of flour to get any type of substantial you know um juice back from it and i was asked the question on cannabis life how much pot have i consumed in my lifetime and of course i replied with tons but i started thinking about it and if i could use cannabis in the manner that i wanted I mean, we would be talking about lots and lots of pounds a year, but I would have to grow it because I would really like to juice it. Um, I I think it's great what it does for the gastrointestinal system. Uh, People with Crohn's, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, they do great juicing it. It's almost like a like a miracle, really, for for allowing them to get back to work. Oh, I agree. You have, you know, THCA and CBDA and all the acidic versions of those cannabinoids all mixed together and and uh you know i could very well see in the future where you could have cannabis grown as a commodity and juiced on a large scale and right next to the naked juices that you find in Publix and and luckies and whole foods where you find you know like naked mango juice and naked uh apple juice or a combination of those juices why why couldn't you see hemp juice or cannabis juice mixed in there it's non-euphoric until you apply heat to it None of that juice is not going to get you high. You can drink a gallon of it, and uh, and it's not going to do anything to you. So that's why 
you know, I, I believe that the, the cannabis juice has a lot of healthy aspects to it. So it should be out there for people to use or not use based on their personal decisions, you know. 100%. There shouldn't, in my opinion, there shouldn't be, and I'm a really progressive in this issue, shouldn't be any restrictions on the plant. Uh, like you said, it's non-psychoactive. And if people are worrying about kids getting into it, I mean, you could just walk down the aisle in Publix and grab a beer out of a six-pack at any point. Right, and then you got the Republicans arguing to have you know hard alcohol right right in the same aisle, of the grocery aisle. So, you know, you can't make an argument that oh my gosh, we don't want to have non-euphoric cannabis juice in the grocery aisles. Meanwhile, they're making the same argument they want to have hard liquor in the grocery aisles next to the Wheaties cereal and and the and the soups and the salads. So, I mean, it it just seems like a very Hippocratic, uh, you know, a lot of hypocrisy from those political elements that are arguing that, hey, we, we don't want this, but we'll allow hard liquor. I mean, come on, guys. It, it just sounds silly after a while. It does sound silly. I mean, if it wasn't on the backs of suffering patients, it would be downright comical that somebody can just really stick behind these propagandists theories, ideas, and push them. So lawsuits are coming. Florida's prepared for them. We keep dump, we dump more money into the legal fund. The thing that bothers me the most, Bill, and I don't know if you want to have an opinion on this since you work with an MMTC, is when the Department of Health uses a lawsuit and a litigant as an excuse to slow down a licensing process that was mandated by the legislator. Yeah, I mean... I- we're not doing anything like that, to my knowledge, and and uh, because I asked the lobbyists and others. So, uh, all we're trying to do is just, you know, with with our the MMTC I'm working with this is trying to get the work done, and we have more, we have more than enough work involved in that. I mean, I, I go to work at eight o'clock in the morning, and I don't finish my day until nine or 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 midnight some some nights. You know, just trying to get everything done. So. Uh, I, I think what you see are some groups that are not working hard to get the dispensaries and the medicine out to the patients, and instead they're just waiting for recreational whenever that's going to come, and that's not going to come for three to five years, in my belief, just because I'm looking at the different groups out there and what they're doing. Um, and they're trying to spend their time, you know, um, obstructing the process. And I don't believe that's 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 the right way to go. Personally, I mean, we have 20 million people here in the state of Florida. We have 250,000 uh, Canadians with medical marijuana cards. We have international visitors uh, that spend millions here in Florida. And to sit there and and for one license holder to fight another license holder over 80,000 patients that are currently in the system instead of turning around and trying to facilitate the educational process and helping out the system get started, to me, that is just a a misuse of power and a misuse of the license. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned some of our friends that come from Canada, and we have a lot that come from all over to Florida, not even just Canada, but other countries. I'm going to read to you a message I got today on my website, floridamarijuana.net. I am based in England, and my father has prostate cancer and takes cannabis oil. We want to go on vacation to Florida, Orlando for two weeks, but the only way my father can attend is if we can purchase cannabis oil. Is there any option we can purchase this? I get those every day, and I have to respond I'm sorry, it's illegal. If you really want to come, be safe and try and find some medicine. You know, but it's sad. Right. It's really sad. 
It is sad. And when I was talking with, um, you know, Pat DeLuca from the Venice Cannabis uh, Clinic, uh, my understanding I heard from him is they don't have, you can't put in a passport number into the system. It has to be a social security number. Well, you're... Um, Canadians don't have social security numbers, nor do your international people have social security numbers. So with a very simple tweak in the system for those people that have property down here and stay for the required time in Florida to meet the Florida resident requirement, why can't they be part of the system? If we're taking their taxes and taking their money, they should be able to be part of the Florida process. So it would be a simple thing to put a passport number in the system. And, you know, I brought that to, you know, to the attention of several people and and um, they have to push for that so it, it all comes down to director backs and what his priorities are you know if his priorities are to improve the system there's some low-hanging fruit like putting a simple software code fix in there to allow passports numbers to be entered in um, that shouldn't take long so well, why they're not doing that i don't know yeah, it doesn't send a good signal to people that spend a good portion of their year down here that they're not welcome if they choose a particular type of medicine. Like you said, they pay taxes. A lot of times, these snowbirds, they own property down here year-round, so they're paying property tax year-round whether they're here or not, and they need their medicine. And it's got to be a shock for Canadians coming down here because they've had medical for a while. Absolutely. I mean, for, for them not to be able to bring their, their medicine from Canada down into Florida or purchase in Florida or be part of the system in Florida, um, that is sending mixed signals to the Canadians. I mean, right now we have Canada who's, who's medical and, rec- and going recreational, and then we have Mexico that's going medical. Uh, we have several countries in S- Central America and South America, and then you have, you know, you have uh, Wales in Ireland, um, in Macedonia, in Italy, in Spain, France, all these countries going medical as part of the system. So, you know, America is is, is actually, um, they're just being, you know, being obstructive at this point, uh, those forces in the federal government are. They are, and it almost seems like According to a lot of reports, including something that came out from Roger Stone, excuse me, it's it appears that Jeff Sessions was doing this almost like a you know unruly child to the president to kind of flex muscle. Now that may just be spin that they're putting on this because of the blowback, but it it seems like Washington's got a, a lot of issues going on up there. I mean, you've got. Supposedly, and, and I'm, I don't want to make this a political argument on Republicans and Democrats, etc. But from from what I've read, is that, uh, President Trump doesn't do a lot of reading. So my understanding from Stone is that uh, the memo was submitted that President Trump didn't read the memo, and then you had all this blow up, and it's almost it's it's political suicide for Sessions to step forward and, and say, okay, the attorney generals that are coming up for re-election or election in fall of this year, 2018, we want you to go after all these economic elements in your state and close them down and close those jobs down and cause complete disruption and chaos, and you'll be good. You'll be okay during the 2018 election. That's ridiculous. So, 
I think a lot of those folks were privately complaining back to the White House, and that's probably why you know Sessions didn't even get uh, invited to the to the Camp David uh, meeting this weekend, where it's it's a 2018 planned Republican strategy meeting. Why would you not include the Attorney General in the 2018 Republican strategy meeting if, in fact, Sessions may not be part of the strategy in 2018 and going forward? Yeah, it doesn't look good. I would be if I was Jeff Sessions, I would be wondering what when the next foot's going to drop. It seems that what he did though was rally a bunch of Republican lawmakers in states where there's a medical marijuana program because like we said before, it really comes down to a state's rights issue. Absolutely, the 10th amendment. And you're probably a little bit more familiar with what all that entails, but basically you know, the states are considered sovereign countries, if we'll call them, to govern themselves and their own rules. And then we have the federal government that kind of oversees everything and then can put out laws and regulations that affect all of us. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections and get premier brand exposure. This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. About a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him pink, that's the point. Download and play while you life yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z.com. With this being in the Constitution, I want to let everybody know that all the way down to your county sheriff, they've they've sworn under oath to uphold the state constitution and that's a serious level of protection compared to something that gets done just legislatively i do too i mean it's from a medical standpoint um it it would just cause complete disruption to step in here and i think it's actually going to uh, strengthen the medical program in Florida. Those elements that have stepped into Florida, those investors that think that they're going to get a quick return on their dollar and just be involved in recreational and not even concentrate on the medical except for name only, this is going to scare them away. They're going to look at it and go, ah, oh, geez, it's going to take a while for Florida to go recreational. Maybe we're better off going somewhere else where we can make more money. 
And, and you know what? I feel good about that. Go ahead and leave. Uh, we want people that are going to be part of the medical program. And if recreational comes in the future, fine. I don't. I have no issues or problems with that. But currently, we have a medical pro- program, so that's where the focus should be at the point. At this point, is on medical. If they want to do recreational uh, down the line, I have no problem doing that. I would sign the petition on that. To me, all use is medical. But as far as helping the seniors out and and a lot of those folks on, on doing medical research, finding out the correct dosage amounts, if there are any, um, that should be that should move forward. I want to see more money being spent on the actual research side of it. And, uh, and, and we, we need to do that. I mean, Israel is the only country right now that's, that's doing really in-depth medical research. And uh, Florida should be that in the running there but but we are not at the moment we absolutely should be we have a handful of really great medical colleges at various state universities and private ones around the state you mentioned research uh three boys has probably one of the i would say leading cannabis researchers uh on the team dr greg gerdeman what's it like working with him uh, it's pretty interesting. We have Dr. Gerdeman as a chief scientist, and we, then our medical director uh, director is Dr. Zeno. So but the, between the two of them, Dr. Zeno uh, is with the University of South Florida, has put together a very extensive manual, all hyperlinked, all based on research. So you can click an ailment like uh, Parkinson's, and then it will pull up all the studies for Parkinson's, and then you can you can click on dosages, and then it will give you all the dosage dosage amounts that were used in those in that research for Parkinson's, uh, and then it will give you other additional data. So what he's done is not put forward a recommended dosage based on what he believes, but taken all the aggregate of research data, pulled together in this this very extensive manual based on the ailments that are covered in Florida and 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 put that together. And I saw that for the first time the other day. And it wasn't this dry, very, you know, uh, document with no graphics. And I mean, it had beautiful graphics, background, everything. And he's going to make that available to Florida doctors here in the future. And uh, as far as Dr. Gerdeman uh, goes, he's 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 done presentations in Spain, South America, and a variety of different places. What he does is he takes the the academic language and he puts it in layman's language where everybody can explain it. I mean, when I saw Dr. Gerdman do a presentation in front of 150 seniors at, at Sun City, and they were following on every one of his words and asking him questions and everything, he didn't lose them. He kept them for about two and a half hours. And we were only supposed to do a 40-minute presentation. And they wouldn't even let us leave. They surrounded us and were asking us questions all along. So it, it's really interesting um, to see the senior demand here in Florida and just the thirst for research and data and information. And I think that adds to the valuation of a license holder. If you have a chief scientist and you have a medical director that are, that are leaders in the, uh, the cannabis industry. Oh, absolutely. It definitely adds value. Um, that document that you were talking about sounds like it could be a game changer and hopefully help drive the physician count up. Exactly. And that's what we want to do is we, uh, you know, when I was talking to Dr. Zeno, uh, he wants to do a, uh, a doctor's version, a physician's version and a patient's version. 
So, you know, with the physician's ber- version, you're going to have more of the, you know, the, the medical terms and definitions and that type of thing being used. Uh, not everybody knows that apoptosis means programmed cell death. So why not just sell, say the word cell death? You know, so you have to kind of put it more of a language uh, language for the for the uh, for the patients. So right now he's just working on the physician's copy, and then later on will be the patient's copy. Uh, and I think that I mean I saw it, and I I, I truly believe it's going to be a game changer here going forward with all that information being being in one aggregate uh, digital source that you can look at and research. A lot of doctors now just have no idea. And they don't have the time to go on PubMed and Google Scholar and all these other areas to go and research that. And Dr. Zeno has done that, pulled it all together. Yeah, that, that is going to be a game changer. As many patients, especially ones that are really familiar with cannabis, know, most of the physicians that are starting this, they've got all the right intentions, but they really don't know what to do. They're used to um, prescribing really standardized medicine based on your body weight, very strict rules. And the cannabis plant is so nuanced and so individualized that this type of body of research, especially in a usable interface like that is going to really help. And I think help some get over the fear of how do I prescribe it and how, or how do I dose it, not prescribe it. Because that, that's right. just something that, you know, you, we hear from doctors all the time, dosing, 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 dosing. They don't, they don't know. And I've heard ranges all over the place. Some doctors starting out at five milligrams a day to some just, you know, a couple hundred milligrams a day. That's really all over the charts. Do you know anything about what the University of Florida is doing with the research? Aren't they supposed to do research? Is anyone doing research on the actual dosing and conditions? Well, a friend of mine told me the other day, he said, when every time you give money, a university money for research, sometimes it just goes in a black hole and you never see it again. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like Moffitt. Moffitt has collected millions. Of, they're going to be collecting hundreds of millions of dollars for cancer research. Now I understand they're asking for more money for cancer research. But what have they done to date? You know, so and then you had the University of Florida. Uh, where Representative Getz at the time, now Congressman Getz, but Representative Getz and Representative Bradley gave $2 million to the University of Florida to do a CBD oil study. Now, they didn't even use Florida CBD oils. They used oil from GW Pharmaceutical, a corporate firm. So we used $2 million with a tax money to do study on a corporate firm's CBD oil and guess what? We don't even have access to that information. So, you know, a lot of the devils in the details, when they want to give money to different universities and studies, that is public money. We should have access to that information, those results, those dosages. Instead, they kind of hold it. They use it for proprietary reasons and research. And that's not right. If you don't if you're not going to give it the information back to the public, then stop taking our money. You know, use your own money, find money from a private firm, but stop taking the public's money. GW could have funded that damn study because you you know, probably I'm not going to say for sure. I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I really feel deep down that if it was GW's oil, then GW is going to be using that in some damn FDA patent application coming up or approval. And we paid, well, the, the, and we paid for it. Yes, it's their Epidiolex. So Epidiolex is is going out for FDA approval here in 2018. That's CBD oil with a little CBD VN uh, variant uh, mix inside there. So they've had very good results. 
uh, on their studies that they did with the University of Florida and also Miami. And they're going to go out for FDA, FDA approval, and this is whole plant oil. And the FDA will probably come back and uh, the DEA and probably reschedule this as a Schedule 2 or a Schedule 3 drug. Meanwhile, so the question remains is how can you take a pharmaceutical CBD oil and reschedule that to Schedule 2 or Schedule 3 and still say that CBD oil extracted from the plant is Schedule 1 and we will lock you up for that? It's so hypocrisy. That's gonna that's going to be the interesting thing coming up here in 2018 is how you do that because increasingly the public's going to look at that and go you know this is ridiculous i mean you, you, that's like saying this you know you, you take a piece of fruit and you say this fruit is deadly and this other fruit this uh, this same fruit is not deadly and then anybody with a logical and critical thinking would look at it and go um, who are you trying to scam here you know yeah it's it's really bad so I just want to clarify something real quick. Uh-huh. The, the study at UF was for the epidiolex. That's correct. And GW is now applying for approval. They will in 2018 okay. because they've gone, they've gone through their preclinical studies. They've gone through their phase one, phase two, and phase three trials. Now the next step is to go out for FDA approval. Then the DA will reschedule it. And then they'll assign it a number. And once it happens, you can medical groups can go okay well we will see if we want to cover this on insurance or not and the amounts on this cd oil would gw pharmaceuticals on some of their costs i've seen out from 800 dollars to 60 dollars a month yeah that's awful so we basically are funding gw pharma to reschedule that pisses me off we, yeah, in some case, in some cases we are. Yeah, in some cases we are. I mean, because a lot of these research institutions, like University of Miami, University of Florida, all uh, quite a few other universities, have all been testing D- GW pharmaceutical CBD oil, and on on patients, on children, and everything. And if you go to clinicaltrials.gov or 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 PubMed and try and find out the results from those studies, you're not going to find them. They're not going to put the results out there. And then if you if you go and read GW Pharmaceuticals press releases, they said, well, we've had these great results and that type of thing. So they are, you know, GW Pharmaceuticals is from England. So they, you have a cannabis company from England come over here into America, do all their studies on American citizens using American assets, American resources, and in some cases, American tax dollars. All to prove that their medicine works, and we've known that CBD oil has worked on epilepsy since the 1930s and before. So now they have to prove that through the through the FDA's a process, and then they're going to be able to sell this here in America and have exclusive medical rights to it under the under the you know the current law and how it's set up. So it, it's you know. You look at it and it just goes. It just this is just a ridiculous, um, you know, pattern by the states to you know, to deny other folks what they could be getting as a regular CBD oil in a health food store and make it expensive for you know Medicare and Medicaid, where they can charge outrageous sums for it, like what's going on in the medical market today. Yeah, and you just highlighted a good point. I'd like to bring up. 
despite all the issues with the government, um, all the different regulatory bodies and the programs around the country, the biggest threat is probably going to come from within the industry with one of these big corporations that can throw their weight around and lobby the FDA because it's a political process. Oh, it is. And, and, you know, there's a lot of industries already looking at Florida to get in. I mean, you've got, you know, I've heard people say that they've met with representatives from Bayer. They've met with representatives from the tobacco industry. They're all out there. They're all out there waiting and, and, and uh, to see when they can get in and when they can take over. And um, they can't right now because with cannabis being Schedule 1, uh, their shareholders will not allow them to get in this industry. There's too much risk. So all they can do is watch. All they can do is research, collect data, uh, you know, buy the ancillary products like a lot of your one-use vape pens that you see out there today with nicotine and others. They're all owned by the, uh, the tobacco industry. And they're planning on doing the same thing here in the States is lobbying where you can have your vape pens are all one use and you can't refill with your vape pens. So if they come in and they get into the cannabis industry here, they will come out with one use vape pens that you will have to pay that will go into the landfills by the thousands. But that's how they they, they keep the money rolling in and everything and keep their prices high. Interesting you mentioned the vape pens because I believe, uh, was it, R.J. Reynolds or Philip Morris, one of the big ones, announced that they were going to be transitioning out of cigarettes into all electronic versions. Uh, yes, yeah, so, you know that's a lot. It's a lot safer uh, to some extent. You don't have a lot of the other items being, you know, introduced into your lungs, unless they decide to put them in the vape oil and then it's being introduced into your lungs. So, you know, it, it's hard to say whether the vape pens are going to be safer than cigarettes if they get in the hands of the cigarette industry or not because you never know what they're going to put in it yeah you sure don't um <clears throat> so let, let's get back on to to some three boys stuff uh if flour becomes legal does three boys have plans to sell flour to patients Three boys will follow whatever the Florida rules and regulations are if flour is a you know of uh, allowed uh, and there's a demand for it by the patients, and then we will. Uh, I would imagine we would sell it at that point. Cool, because I, a lot of people are, um, with light of things in the news recently, are asking, "Is this company going to be selling flour?" And I'm like, "Well, no, none are going to be selling it right now, but I'm sure most, if given the opportunity and it's allowed under law, would be more than happy to do that." Um, you probably have an idea working over there. I mean, processing flour gets expensive, real expensive. Oh, yes, it, it, it does. It, you know, it, you could process the sugar leaves or, or you know, other parts of the, the cannabis plant there for, for oil. You wouldn't have to do the flour itself, but it does get expensive. And, you know, all the equipment behind it, um, very much so. So, um it doesn't give you cost alternatives to, to, the, to lower the price for the patients. Um, and that's what we're trying to do is, is come up with lower price points for the patients. Yeah, that's something I explain to people a lot is um, prices are going to remain inflated until the producers have the ability to sell a really diverse range of products because it gives you a bunch of different price points 
based on production costs. Right. Or until somebody gets in and starts producing cannabis on a huge scale like, you know, uh, Afria is planning on doing. That's what they do here um, in other states is uh, Fria or Afria. I forgot how you pronounce it there. But that's they grow on a huge scale. I think their business model is to be more like a Walmart for cannabis and just uh, produce it by the pounds and not so much, you know, select cultivars or science based around it just coming up with a cheap low product um and i don't mean that in a negative source it, uh, in a negative way i'm just saying that's that's where i think their their business plan is is going yeah and there's a place for that in the market you know like you said there's yes, n- nothing wrong with that and they do grow on a yeah. huge scale right i mean there's going to be room for everybody and, and no one patient or customer is always looking for one select product. It all depends on the ailment. It depends on the need. It depends on the method of, you know, of, of ingestion or administration to the body. Somebody might have really good transdermal patches or good vape pens or good sublingual sprays. Somebody might be concentrating on Crohn's disease and colitis and trying to come up with products there that release slowly in, into the gut tract. So um, there's room for everybody and and. and and uh, that's why at this point, I, I, you know, going in and seeing a lot of this, I think there's, you know, it's just, okay, everybody has a business plan. It's still early in the market. Just just go to work and concentrate on your work and everything will just work. You know, everything will be okay at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Just put your nose to the grindstone daily and chug away that business plan. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo. Register for an early bird discount now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. You had some time in Three Boys. Can you kind of explain how complicated it is to get up and running and how involved, maybe not complicated, but how many I's you got to dot and T's you got to cross? Well, from from a cost standpoint um, and time, it, it takes a lot because what you're doing is you're, you know, it's a vertical. So a license holder has to control, uh, they have to do all the cultivation. 
they have to do all the extraction, the drying, the curing, uh, the packaging, the dispensaries, the call center, uh, the delivery vehicles. And each one of those alone is a business. So now you have to take all those businesses under one umbrella and make it all work with a group of people that are all starting off new. They don't know each other. Uh, they come from different political backgrounds, different parts of this, the country, different goals, different ideas, different ways of communicating. And the, the first thing you need to do is start with a very strong core team. And then you have to, you know, uh, you have to start working your way through these license, these uh, inspections by the state. So you have to have a cultivation inspection. And during the cultivation inspection, they come in and they look at everything you have on your application, all the equipment. It all has to plug in. You have to show that it works. You have to have uh, all your permits, your water permits, your city permits, your electrical permits. Uh, things have to be up to code. The IT person and the stage team come in and they want to make sure that your network is secure and it's wireless. And, uh, and then you have another person that comes in and wants to look at your point of sale system. Does it work? Do you know how to operate it? Can you answer these questions? So that is just for the cultivation inspection and everything required to get your cultivation up and going. And then the next step is extraction. And then they're going to come in and look at all your extraction equipment. And they're going to make sure you know how to run the process and ask you questions and, and probably have you run through a set of extraction procedures. Um, and then lastly, there's the dispensary. And then with the dispensary, you have to have each dispensary has to be inspected by the state. Uh, so it just takes a lot of time and effort getting that huge beast up and running. Uh, I mean, if you could contract out dispensaries or contract out uh, a lot of the different areas, that would lessen your time to market. But trying to do all that just takes a huge amount of time. And when you have multiple investors and in different groups, everybody has a way to do it. Everybody has a guy. Everybody has, you know, a best cultivar they use. There's just a whole lot of, lot of, lot of. Uh, communication going on, which sometimes can be very noisy, but that's part of democracy. So, you know, for people to step in and think they can get into the medical market with a few people and quickly get to market, and everybody believes that they have the best team, everybody believes they had the best processes and procedures. But until you actually sit down, form a core team, come, to get, come together with your business plan, map it out for the next two, three years, you know, if you don't do any of that, you don't have a strong foundation based on your standard operating procedures and best practices, you know, you're going to be stymied. You're going to be sitting there years later. It, you can't just throw money at this and expect it all to work. You know, if money was the, if money was the solution to getting a license holder up and running, then Costo right now would have 25 dispensaries. Satura would have 25 dispensaries. They've been up since the beginning. They should already have 25 dispensaries, but they don't. TrueLeave is in the running with, I think, 12 dispensaries, maybe more. And then Costa, two. And then Satura, around five. So that tells me right there, and from my minimal experience so far as, you know, working on this license, is that money doesn't solve the issue. It comes down to people and leadership is what is, is at the forefront. Money is part of that, but it's also people and leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And you need to be executing on all cylinders right now because – 
demand seems to still be outstripping supply at a lot of places. There's still very few products. So there's a lot of patient management going on and a lot of, um, I don't know, I guess public relations, I would say, because the brunt of patients' anger is directed at the MMTCs and politicians, I would say, almost equally. Probably, yeah. I, I would say almost equally. It, it's it's going more towards the politician side now that the industry's underway, I think, compared to like this time last year when, you know, cartels and everything else were being talked about. Right. Right. I, I think, you know, folks are going to be looking at the different, you know, groups and seeing what's going on. There still may be a couple of license holders that are um, playing political games and donating money to politicians and trying to get them to obstruct the process or guide the process in a, in a certain way. But that money has dropped off tremendously. I've been checking the packs and where they used to have, you know, 100 to 150,000 a month being dropped in with some of these politicians from uh, from certain sources, now that has all pretty much dried up and gone away. Uh, the politicians have moved on. The politicians uh, realize that Amendment 2 is now in the Constitution. Uh, it's there. They, they may make slight tweaks to the system. Uh, you could probably prod them to do certain things that are, you know, like the low-hanging fruit, like putting in passport numbers into the, the registry so you can get Canadians in. They, you know, they'll go that extra route, but a lot of them don't see this as a as a as a necessary thing they have to really concentrate on at this point because, again, it's after Amendment Two passed, they passed a law. That law is behind them now, so the pressure to get something going is gone. Uh, they'll make small tweaks to the system, and the ones that will actually make major changes to the existing law will be, you know, like Representative Carlos Smith and, and others that, that is is part of is part of who what they believe in, they're passionate about, and they'll step forward and make it happen. And uh, those are the lawmakers that that need to be supported and uplifted uh, within the cannabis movement to, to, to uh, if we want to make changes going forward. I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, speaking of Carlos Smith, I love that guy. For the record, he's going to be the first Democrat I've ever voted for. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, no, I, I, I understand it. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm registered as a Republican, but I vote I vote the position. I vote the person. I vote the cause. I, I don't vote just a straight ticket. And, and I think everybody should do that. You know, whether you're registered as a in the Green Party or the uh, Libertarian or Republican or Democrat, everybody should use critical thinking. Look at all the issues, look at all the data, and then make your decision in the voting booth that's best for you and best for your family and, and, and your state and country. Yeah, I mean, I was what I would consider almost a brainwashed Republican. You know, my family's been in Republican politics forever. Dad got appointed by Jeb Bush, I forget how many years, maybe 12 years ago as a judge. And it was fighting against the grain Um having any critical thinking that disagreed with the party line i'll be honest it was straight ticket every year right i understand that i mean i used to work with uh, fbi agents and and ice agents and sheriffs and locals you know and and uh and i would try to talk with them and explain to them and some of them were willing to listen but a lot of them they just didn't want to they didn't want to hear the data and all but you know i probably 
paid a certain price from a business aspect of doing that, but that's all water under the bridge at this point. I've moved on to other things. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, life has brought you here to where you're going to be helping patients for a long time going forward. And that's a huge impact uh, greater than just, you know, business. I, I believe so. I mean, there's a lot of changes in the industry and also wherever I am, I think I still I still will be with five, you know, I will still be working on the cannabis movement years from now in some way or form. Not sure how, because, you know, there are companies that grow and some of them work out and some of them don't. Some of them get swallowed up by other groups. So, you know, I would say in, in this industry here in Florida, we're just beginning to see the evolution and the changes and the and the rearranging going on. If you, if you want to see a lot of changes on a daily and a weekly basis, that's the cannabis industry. Oh, 100%. It, it moves at the speed of light and it's very fluid. Very, very fluid. fluid. <laughs> you know, I, I tell a lot of people that want to get into this industry and they say, um, hey, I want to I want to get into the cannabis industry. And I said, OK, I want you to fully understand this. You know, if you're one of those people that like working from 830 to 430 or five and you don't like drama and you don't like changes and you like you know, you want to have every day the same as the day before. And if 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 that if that doesn't happen, you you get uh, you lose sleep. Um, you know, you have other physical things happening to your body because you're stressed out. This is not the industry for you to be in maybe years from now, but not right now. I mean, so you have to be able to f- be fluid and move around and do different things. I mean. You know, just I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I mean, I've, I've been very vocal on trying to get decriminalization uh, going here in small amounts in my own city. And, um, you know, just trying to push that political fact in my city here. I've had my house swatted, you know, three or four times. I had my truck windows shot out. So, you know, wait, it just, swat it, swat rolled up on you. Uh, yeah, I, you know, somebody swatted my house. They called in a 911 four Jesus. times in a row. And that happened right after I went to the mayor and the, and the police chief and started talking about decriminalization. And then right after that, my house got swatted three or four times in a month and a half where they're rolling up on my house with guns drawn and everything. And, and my, my 16-year-old twins are in the house and they're scared to death and they're calling me and, and I got to rush to the house. And then... Uh, and then they're all gone after that point. And then when I call the sheriff's office and I talk to them about it, they go, we don't have any record of that. I go, really? <laughs> I said, tell you what, I got uh, cameras rolling on my house, so I have record of it if you want to talk. So, you know, it's, it's those type of things. It's just like intimidation. Intimidation. That's uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Bill, because you had two minors in the house and that's really traumatic. Oh, it is. I mean, my, my daughter called me up crying and, uh, you know, all I did was just go down to the, uh, you know, the city of Palm Bay and talk to them about decriminalization. And I'm not saying they did it, but it just seems very coincidental that as soon as I start meeting with the, the, the mayor and talking to decriminalization and how it affects African-Americans. And by the way, the mayor is African-American. And then I, and then start talking with the police chief, all those things started happening to me. And I'm like, well, this is very coincidental. (laughs) Listen, if you don't support decriminalization and I think real decriminalization, not officer discretion, I, I, at this point, you support putting people of color in jail 
because the numbers are staggering. In Orlando, where they still arrest you 10 times to one, despite having the option to write a ticket, it's predominantly black people and Hispanics and anybody that can fit a profile that the police think are just bad people and like to persecute. It's bad. It's really bad. Right. Right. I agree. I agree, and that's why I went down there with a couple of advocates and was trying to make a change at that point. I mean, I wasn't being paid to do that or asked to do that. I did that, that on my own uh, my own uh, uh, free will to go down there and try to make changes. I mean, if I was in this just to make money, I wouldn't be putting up with all the swatting on my house and my window getting shot out on my truck and and uh, you know, having to go through all this risk and everything to try and get this program started here in Florida. And I'm not trying to put myself out there as a saint and say that you know I should get accolades for that or anything, not at all. I'm just saying that when you're going out there and you're trying to make changes in this industry, it can be very fluid and it can, it can be very intimidating. And, um, and if you wanna get in the cannabis industry, uh, eat you got to understand that. I believe that people have to understand the risk and the rewards uh, with this industry. 100%. Are you still trying to get decrim passed, and is it near Melbourne? Uh, it's, yeah, Melbourne, Palm Bay. I was I was pushing on it after that point, and then the African-American mayor of, of Palm Bay uh, just told me he just wanted to drop it, and he didn't want to, he didn't want to address it anymore at that point. Interesting. Yep. Yeah, there's a guy that I, I met with uh, Jose Belen the other evening. We spent some time with him and his son. He's 12 years old, his caretaker. I'm not going to put his name out there, but he's a Coast Guard. Uh, I think he spent 15 years or so in the Coast Guard, and then he was a police officer, injured in the line of duty, ended up getting his back really messed up, had to get it fixed. They ended up leaving some wires in his back. Long story short, though, he's had six TBIs, and he uses cannabis exclusively now instead of all the medications. He might be a powerful person to get up there. He, he can speak fairly well. Uh, he, he might be. I mean, I did a couple presentations at City Hall and talked about it, and, uh, and those presentations went well, but it just... You know, it just doesn't seem there be a whole lot of interest to move forward the decriminalization there in, in that, you know. That's unfortunate. Yeah, Brevard County is a very conservative, very red uh, county. But then again, a lot of Republicans I know here uh, use cannabis, and they're either open about it or they're not open about it. So, you know, you'd be surprised that a lot of folks that you think don't use cannabis for their ailments do. You know, they haven't come out of the cannabis closet yet. No, we need them out and we need everyone to call your local representatives and tell them to support the decriminalization bill that Carlos Guillermo Smith submitted. It's full decriminalization, no t- no arrests, no none of that stuff. Um, Bill, right. I'm about ready to wrap it up. Uh, could you let everyone know how they can get in touch with you and follow you? I know you have a couple different pages and stuff. Sure, sure. Um, so on the medical side, I have Florida for medicinal marijuana, where I, I, I cover a lot of medical, and then I also have some uh, a series of blog notes I put out on a regular basis. So that's Florida for medicinal marijuana. And then on the business side of it, um, 
I have Florida Cannabis Cultivators and Dispensary Network. And that is that is just for talking about the business part about cannabis where they, with regard to dispensaries extraction and growing, developing best practices, kind of it's a dialogue between business people and entrepreneurs and um, where we all get together and have respectful dialogue. I'm all about respectful dialogue. I don't like the cursing and the, the trolling and that type of thing. I, I think in order to move this program forward, we all have to be able to we have we have to be willing to listen to each other whether we like what they say or we don't like what they say there's still something to be learned there so those are the two websites predominantly is uh, florida for medicinal marijuana and florida cannabis cultivators and dispensary network yeah i i and that's on facebook everyone so you can search for that on facebook I, yes so I, that's on that's on facebook there okay yeah I instituted a policy not too long ago. If I catch somebody cursing on my page or in the groups and attacking someone else, they just get deleted and banned. I don't, I just, I don't even have time to argue with people about why they shouldn't be cursing and comments. And yeah, I, I try to do the same. I might give them a warning and say, Hey, look, if you want to play in the sandbox here with others, you know, kind of dial it down. Maybe you don't realize that you're getting to that point. And then if and then if they turn around and they're still being mean and nasty, it's like okay, goodbye, you're banned. Yep, sure is, Bill. I want to thank you for taking this time to get with me. I know I've been trying to get with you for a while, but you're right. incredibly busy because um, you're in a startup in a startup industry. <laughs> so I think you touched yep. on how much work. And um, you got to be really tough to be in this industry to last and make it, just like Bill said, because you may get intimidated. It, it's been happening a lot to a lot of people I know. Right. I mean, it, you know, people will try to physically intimidate you or, or uh, intimidate you through words. And, uh, you know, I've seen both of it. And the way I look at it is just smile and keep on chugging. Yep. Keep calm and carry on. Yep. All right, Bill, you have a good one, and uh, keep up the hard work. All right, thank you, Robert. We'll talk with you later. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow up with Bill Monroe. You can find him on Facebook. His two groups are Florida Cannabis Cultivators and Dispensary Owners Network. He also has Florida for Medicinal Marijuana. We really appreciate you listening to the show and continuing to subscribe and leave reviews. Next week, we're going to begin giving away swag to everyone who has done the following two things. You need to first go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. You can do that on iTunes or Google Play Live and leave us a review. Once you do those two things, we're going to start picking names out of a hat and we're going to be giving away stuff like shirts, hats, rolling papers, stickers, buttons, all kinds of stuff from lots of different brands, brands you know and love. Thanks, have a great day. You've been listening to The Marijuana Solution. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited 